We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 520 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. It is NHL trade deadline day, 2023. 3 p.m. Eastern on Friday is the NHL trade deadline. The Capitals, our caps, uh, they over the last week have made four trades in the team's first sell-off in years. Is there more? of the sell-off to come prior to the deadline. Uh, gone are defensemen Dmitry Orlov and Eric Gustafson, and forwards Lars Eller, Garnett Hathaway, and Marcus Johansson. Who might be next? You know, we're so used to the Caps being buyers come NHL trade deadlines. It is odd seeing the Caps be sellers, but as we've been talking about on the podcast, what the Caps are doing makes sense. Trading away veterans on expiring contracts in an attempt to reset and reload as opposed to rebuild in a season in which the Caps are stagnant and have been hammered by injury, although the Caps still are very much in playoff contention. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The NFL scouting combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis continues. Friday and Saturday are big days uh, as they are quarterback days. Uh, Quarterbacks on Friday are doing media sessions and quarterbacks on Saturday are doing measurements and on-field workouts. Get ready to hear a whole lot about guys' hand sizes. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of media sessions at the Combine, by the way, Georgia defensive back Christopher Smith II, uh, he on Thursday, unprompted, said that his formal interview with the commanders stood out about his time at the Combine, said that he was impressed with the vision of head coach Rod Rivera. So there you go. But anyway, coming up next segment is Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge, who is going to talk to us about the quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL Draft, specifically three guys who could be available to the commanders with their number 16 overall pick. And in the case of one guy, 
uh, seems likely to be available on day two, maybe even day three of the draft. Uh, talking about Florida's Anthony Richardson, Kentucky's Will Levis, and Tennessee's Hendon Hooker, uh, who is not viewed as a first-round pick. Richardson and Levis are viewed as first-round picks. Uh, although Richardson's stock is skyrocketing, he may be long gone by the time that the commander's number 16 overall pick comes up. And uh, Levis's stock is dropping. What should the commanders be thinking about these three guys? We'll get into that with Nick and a lot more, including his thoughts on the man being positioned as the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season. Sam Howell, uh, next a really smart guy, big commanders fan, has a lot to say about Sam Howell and the quarterbacks in the 2023 draft. I'm then going to talk some more about the commanders ranking dead last in the NFL with their report card from the NFL Players Association. There has been a good bit out there about how much this should matter. This does matter, but not for the reason that you may think. I shall explain. And also on the show, I am talking Wizards. A very nice win for our Wizards on Thursday night. A 119-108 win over the Toronto Raptors at Capital One Arena to gain ground in the Eastern Conference play-in tournament standings. You may not be captivated (laughs) by the Wizards' participation in the Eastern Conference play-in tournament race, but the truth is that the Wiz actually have been playing pretty well for a while now. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I, in recent days, have gotten multiple emails in response to an email from the great Howard Gutman uh, that I read on episode 514 of this podcast. Howard Gutman, former United States ambassador to Belgium, a loyal listener of this podcast. He wrote to me off listening to the pod in Belgium and then off listening to the pod in Australia. <laughs> and so I got to talking about the top countries for downloads of this podcast. And that has prompted some rather interesting emails. Email from Robert Schaefer from the U.S. Embassy in Warsaw, Poland. Writes Robert, seems your top 10 of international listening sites did not include Poland. So I thought I'd let you know you have listeners in Warsaw. I am a native Washingtonian who cried as a child during Super Bowl VII and accidentally struck my fiance in the shoulder when I jumped in reaction to the 80-yard dime from Doug Williams to Ricky Sanders in Super Bowl XXII. I have suffered with everyone through the annual vacillation of off-season Kool-Aid highs through in-season Daniel Snyder turmoil and on-field results. The hiring of Eric Bieniemy this moment is palpable and feels different, but it's time to move on to winning in the off-season. So that means roster shenanigans in my two-hour daily diversion of running through mock draft simulators. What say you to my abilities as an armchair general manager? And then Robert goes on to list a mock Commanders 2023 draft that includes the team taking Tennessee quarterback and former Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker with the Commanders third round pick, pick number 97 overall, which by the way is their compensatory pick for the free agent defection of right guard Brandon Sheriff last offseason. Much more on Hendon Hooker uh, with Nick Ackridge. Concludes Robert, maybe my Kool-Aid is partnered with a bit of the Polish national beverage vodka, (laughs) but I am intrigued with the athleticism of Cole Turner, Armani Rogers, and Curtis Hodges. One of them needs to separate himself 
by embracing some Greco-Roman techniques and blocking along the offensive line. When I start cashing my government pension, maybe I'll go the Charlie Casserly route and volunteer to work for free as an intern and work my way up through the ranks and nail a job in the front office when I turn 80. (laughs) Keep up the great work. You are appreciated across the Atlantic on a near daily basis. Well, thank you so much for that, Robert in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, You know, we talked a good bit about the commander's tight end situation on Thursday's show, episode 519 of comments uh, from Commander's General Manager Martin Mayhew on Wednesday afternoon in his press conference at the Combine. Uh, So we go from an email from Robert in Warsaw, Poland, to now an email from Ken, a diplomatic correspondent in Tokyo, Japan. We are traveling the globe in this opening segment of episode 520 of the Al Galdi podcast, writes, Ken, I was happy to hear that Japan was among the top 10 destinations in which the Al Galdi podcast is downloaded. I can tell you that I enjoy listening during my train commute and on my dog walks, so much so that I even look forward (laughs) to, to how you blend Paulson and Nace into the flow of the news. As a journalist, I have much to learn about story transitions. Uh, Well, Ken, uh, don't be using me as a model for story transitions. Trust me. Continues, Ken. I was stationed in Washington as a correspondent in the Steve Spurrier, Joe Gibbs 2 era, and I've been a fan of the Redskins since. I was sad when the team cut Cornelius Griffin, horrified when we dismantled Greg Williams' 4-3 defense for a 3-4 defense that did not work, excited by Alfred Morris' 200-yard game against Dallas to end 2012, and was so impressed by Taylor Heineke's performance against Tom Brady in Heineke's first playoff game. Some guys have it, other guys just don't. Heineke definitely has it, so I will root for him wherever he goes. I especially look forward to the Monday podcast, which come out oh so early on Monday evenings, Tokyo time. They break the weekend droughts of Commander's podcast, and I'm so happy that I even listen to the whole advertisement for Paulson and Nays. Heck, I think that I can recite the whole ad myself by now. Keep up the excellent work. (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Ken. You know, that was quite the rapid-fire stroll down memory lane by Ken. Interesting that Ken was stationed in D.C. as a correspondent during the days of Steve Spurrier as Skins head coach, but now is in Japan because it was in Japan that the Skins played their first game with Spurrier as their head coach. The preseason opening... 38-7 smashing of the San Francisco 49ers at the Osaka Dome in Osaka, Japan, August 3rd, 2002. The Skins offense in that game, the Steve Spurrier fun and gun offense in that game looked so good. The Skins starting quarterback, Danny Werfel, he in that game, 16-25 for 269 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. And we thought, here we go. The old ball coach, the OBC, Steve Spurrier, the fun and gun offense is here to revolutionize the NFL. And then, of course, came actual regular season games. Uh, 2002, the Skins went 7-9. and nine. And 2003, the Skins went, wait for it, 5-11. and 11. Not very good. Okay, we wound up 5-11. and 11. Not very good. Yeah, there you go. An all-time Washington, D.C. area sports classic. That was Steve Spurrier in his final press conference as Skins head coach. 5-11. and 11. Not very good. Uh, no, it is not. Uh, and then that was it. The old ball coach, the OBC, was done 
as an NFL coach after just two seasons. What's funny, though, is that I actually think that the fun and gun offense may have been ahead of its time. The fun and gun in today's NFL with today's rules and today's pass-happy offensive philosophies, I think would have had a much better chance of working. Maybe it would have worked spectacularly. I think about the fun and gun the way that I think about the run-and-shoot offense. If you remember that, the run-and-shoot offense of the 1980s and 1990s. You know, people used to bash the run-and-shoot offense in the 80s and 90s, but the run-and-shoot to me was ahead of its time. And the run-and-shoot offense did have some success. I mean, those very good Houston Oilers teams of the late 80s and early 90s ran the run-and-shoot with Warren Moon as their starting quarterback and that great receiving core that included Curtis Duncan and Ernest Givens and Drew Hill and Haywood Jeffries and who could forget the all-time great sideline coaching fight. Uh, We in the Oilers' 1993 regular season finale, January 2nd, 1994, a 24-0 Oilers win over the New York Jets on Sunday Night Football. A famous sideline fight between the Oilers offensive coordinator, Kevin Gilbride, and the Oilers defensive coordinator, Buddy Ryan, who called <laughs> who called the run and shoot the Chuck and Duck. And the Oilers head coach at the time was a former Skins head coach, Jack Pardee. Uh, But great to get emails from Robert in Warsaw, Poland, and Ken in Tokyo, Japan. And Ken, this is for you, my friend. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace, wherever you may be. The Washington, D.C. area, Tokyo, Japan, Osaka, Japan, Paulson and Nace stands out as a high-level, compassionate, and winning law firm. Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. 
We, this week on the podcast, have talked about what Commander's Head Coach Rod Rivera and General Manager Martin Mayhew had to say at their press conferences at the NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Ron did a press conference on Tuesday afternoon. Martin did a press conference on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Each guy talked a good bit about the man who is being positioned to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season, Sam Howell. Uh, Ron Rivera on Tuesday afternoon on Sam Howell, quote, He's not our starter. He's coming in as the QB1. He'll get a great opportunity to be our starter, end quote. Martin Mayhew on Wednesday afternoon on Sam Howell, quote, he has the skills that it takes to be a starter in this league, in my opinion, end quote. Well, joining us now to talk Sam Howell, as well as to talk about the top quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL Draft, with Saturday, the day on which we have measurements and on-field workouts for quarterbacks at the Combine, is Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge. Uh, When you hear about Commanders players and their PFF grades, that often has been the work of Nick Ackridge, and Nick also happens to be a big Commanders fan. Uh, Nick is with us right now for part one of a two-part conversation. We, in part two, will go in-depth on the Commanders' new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, the Commanders' offensive line, and some roster construction philosophy, given that the team has franchise-tagged interior defensive lineman Deron Payne. But right now, in this part one of our conversation, we're going to talk Sam Howell, the top quarterbacks in the 2023 draft, whether the Commanders should consider taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2023 draft and more. You can follow Nick on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge, and his last name is spelled A-K-R-I-D-G-E. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, as always. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, First time that we've spoken since the emergence, the rise of Sam Howell. Uh, Are you on board with the commanders positioning him to be their QB1 for the 2023 season? Yeah, I don't know where else they could really go. I mean, obviously, I I do kind of like this this draft class when it comes to quarterbacks. When you're at 16, it's tough to really, you know, go up and get your guy. And with the whole kind of behind-the-scenes stuff with – you know, Ron potentially being on his last year and the ownership situation and stuff like that. It's tough to kind of go all in on a quarterback. And there aren't really any free agents that I'm kind of a huge fan of going after. I'm never really a fan of that anyway. And I think they saw it last year with, with Wentz, obviously. And I think it, it's kind of time to just give a young guy a chance. I mean, worst case scenario, he's terrible. And then you're picking top in, in the next in next year's draft in a, in a really good quarterback class. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just you just got to give him his chance and I think he can be okay. I don't know if he's going to, you know, lead the team to the playoffs next year. Obviously, it's tough to kind of go from, you know, kind of being the same offense he's had in college and then going into a, you know, the Scott Turner type of offense in his rookie year and then now a different offense. And so I think it'll be tough for him, but I think that's kind of your best and smartest option right now is how. I know that you were high on Sam Howell going into the 2022 NFL draft, uh, in which the commanders, of course, took Sam in the fifth round. Pro Football Focus as a whole was high on Sam. He was the number 34 player on the PFF big board for the 2022 draft. What specifically did you like about Sam going into the draft? Yeah, I think the arm talent is is pretty evident. He's a guy that can make all sorts of throws. There's a zip on the throws that he has is, is you can't really teach that sort of stuff. And the big knack on him was, or the big knock on him was the offense. It was the offense and his kind of, you know, regression from his junior year to his, his senior year, his third year to his fourth year, basically. And I think that that sort of, 
not it's tough because when you lose the talent that he had, he still had a top wide receiver in, in Josh Downs, but I think it was kind of tough on him. But you saw more of what he could do in the run game. Um, I had a stat like he led all quarterbacks in missed tackles forced over the past like five years, basically with in that, in that one season. So he can make people miss. He could be effective in that way, and he had to learn a different type of way to play the game. But I think he can be a successful quarterback, and I think that's something that we've needed, obviously, for a long time. And I think he was one of the few guys that really kind of stuck out for from last year's class as someone who could really just be a, a solid quarterback in the NFL. Something that sticks with a lot of people with Sam Howell is that he was a fifth-round pick. And so few non-first-round quarterbacks end up becoming good NFL quarterbacks to say nothing of becoming franchise quarterbacks. And there's no denying that reality. My response, though, is that Sam Howell isn't your normal fifth-round quarterback, you know, your normal day three of an NFL draft quarterback, because he in the 2021 offseason was viewed as the potential number one overall pick in the 2022 draft, and things did get odd, and I think overly punitive with the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. I mean, for just one quarterback to be taken over the first 73 picks of the draft still is strange, no matter how down people were on the quarterbacks in the draft. Now, you know, maybe I'm trying to talk myself into Sam Howell, but where are you on the extent to which Sam should be lumped in with other non-first-round quarterbacks? No, it's it's definitely a fair point. And like you said, he was a guy that was being projected top five before his final season. And I think his slide was just kind of weird. I think people just kind of got bored with him. I mean, because they saw him a ton. Um, and it's kind of tough to top what he did that his the prior to his last year. Um, but I wouldn't really, I would sort of necessarily, I would clump him into that kind of not first round quarterbacks. I don't think I would have used a first round pick on him, but I was thinking like second or third round for him, um, kind of day two guy. So obviously the success rate isn't great there either, but I, I always thought that him, I had Ritter and Pickett as kind of the three guys that I thought could be successful quarterbacks in the NFL. I didn't really think anyone else was really going to kind of touch those three. Um, I liked Howell's tools kind of the most out of all of them. Um, but yeah, I would kind of, I would clump him into that sort of day two group, not, not necessarily day three. It was such a weird draft with the quarterbacks last year, but yeah, if we're kind of looking at him compared to, you know, the, the prior years, I wouldn't have put him over, you know, the guys like Fields and, and even Zach Wilson, who, who I was lower on, but, and Mac Jones and stuff like that. But I think he can be a, just a, a decent NFL quarterback, which is, you know, that's a hit when you're taking a guy in fifth round. We're talking Commanders with Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge, who's a big Commanders fan and who watches and studies a lot of college football. So when it comes to the quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL draft, and we on Saturday will have measurements and on-field workouts for quarterbacks at the NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, you on Thursday morning tweeted out your top six quarterbacks in the 2023 draft. Number one, Alabama's Bryce Young. Number two, Florida's Anthony Richardson. Number three, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud. Number four, Kentucky's Will Levis. Number five, Stanford's Tanner McKee. Number six, Tennessee's Hendon Hooker. Uh, You on February 22nd, regarding Anthony Richardson, tweeted, quote, finally finished my Anthony Richardson eval, and the right coaches slash organization can turn him into a superstar. Would I like that to be Washington? Yes. Will it happen? No shot. Will you all still be mean to me in the comments because of his accuracy? 
probably, end quote. Uh, the stock of Anthony Richardson is soaring, so the likelihood of him being available uh, to the commanders with their number 16 overall pick in the 2023 draft is seeming increasingly unlikely. But, you know, who knows? Uh, I personally think that the commanders should be open to taking Richardson and even trading up to take him. What say you? I'm, I'm, I'm always a believer. And if you have a quarterback that you like in the draft, you should do anything it takes to get him. And if they really love Anthony Richardson or a CJ Stroud or even a Will Levis, you should do whatever it takes to get him. I think you can't ever really overspend for an elite quarterback. Uh, it's just something every top team needs. You always need that elite quarterback. So Anthony Richardson is is an interesting guy. He's going to keep shooting up, especially after the combine when people watch him throw. Combine doesn't really change any of my evaluation. I think when I went into it, I didn't think I was going to be a huge fan of his, but the kind of comments you hear about him without actually watching the tape isn't doesn't really fit him. A lot of people wanted to compare him to like a Malik Willis type of prospect where he's just really raw, toolsy type of quarterback, but he can play the quarterback position better than a lot of guys. I think you can watch it in, in his film, the way he manipulates pockets, the way he, he can quickly get through his progressions, understand what defenses are presenting him. And in the SEC, when those defenses are as unique as it gets, I mean, if you're playing a Georgia-style defense or Alabama, it's it's tough to figure out what they're doing. And he's he's shown that he's, he's very smart. He knows where to get with the ball. Obviously, the big concern is accuracy. And I think that's the one thing that's stopping me from kind of solidifying him as QB1 is, is that accuracy. But the reason I said if he goes to the right organization is because a lot of it is is footwork. And I think if you can fix his footwork, which, you know, a top quarterback coach or offensive coordinator or the top organization that has a plan for him can do that, then I think he can turn into a superstar. We've heard the Josh Allen comps, and I think that's a fair comp because he's I don't think he's as raw as Josh Allen was coming out. Um, but the, the tools are, are very similar. I just think when you look at Anthony Richardson, I just think he's more inexperienced. I don't think he's raw. I think he's just kind of inexperienced as a quarterback. Like you said, the concern with Anthony Richardson is the accuracy. His completion percentage over 393 career pass attempts at Florida was just 54.7. That, of course, is frighteningly low. You mentioned Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen as a potential comp. Is there any other successful quarterback in recent NFL history who was inaccurate in college but became much more accurate in the NFL? Or is Josh Allen a true outlier? I think Josh Allen is the outlier. And I always kind of hated comparing people to Josh Allen. It's like, well, you can't really fix accuracy. You, you can to a sense if it's when it's really footwork based with him. And I think it is where he just kind of gets a little lazy with his footwork and he, he trusts his arm too much. So, cause he knows he can flat footed flick the ball 60 yards in the air if he wants to. And I think he just gets a little lazy with it, which is why you see some of those overthrows and just inaccurate passes. But when he's consistent with his mechanics and footwork, he can be an accurate quarterback. I believe um, I, I just, like I said, it, it just, it, it's going to take the right coaching, the right um, organization that really has a plan for him. So whereas Anthony Richardson's stock is rising, Will Levis's stock is falling. Uh, you this past Tuesday afternoon tweeted, quote, spent the day evaluating Will Levis, and I don't understand how he's being talked about in the first round. Great arm, good anticipation, and quick game concepts, but that's about it. Not many high-level processing plays and has plays where he just forgets where the pocket should be, end quote. 
Uh, maybe <laughs> what you tweeted answers this question, but if Levis falls to the commanders at 16, should they take him? Again, if, if, if they love the guy, um, I, I don't, I don't think that should stop him from taking him up. The big kind of pro of him is that he's played in a pro style offense these past two years. And always kind of said, well, if you play in a pro style offense and you're not good, that's not a good thing. Like I, you, you need to be successful in that pro style offense to be, for that to be really a pro, um, Obviously, the tools are there for him. He can flick it as well as Anthony Richardson. His arm is incredible. But there's a lot of question marks around him with his decision-making and just kind of his the way he processes information, pre-snap, post-snap sort of stuff. But if they love him, then I, you have to take him at 16. I just think that's the case for any quarterback. If you like the guy and you think he can be elite, you have to take him. Of course, the commanders in the 2022 draft could take a quarterback in a round other than the first round. And that brings us to a guy who you know well, being a big Tennessee fan, Hendon Hooker, who, as many people listening to this know, transferred from Virginia Tech to Tennessee, and who's coming off a torn left ACL uh, that he suffered just this past November 19th. What's your evaluation of Hooker, uh, who you have as your QB6? Yeah, it, it killed me to to kind of not be as high on Hendon Hooker as I wanted to be. Like I said, ten, like you said, Tennessee fan, he's been my favorite quarterback just because of what he's done for Tennessee this past year, kind of brought us back to relevance. But the offense he plays in is very gimmicky. It's very quickly just – it's every sort of throw is – you know where he's going to go with it pre-snap. He doesn't have to really process information post-snap as much. And when that first read's gone, we hear it a lot, he, he takes off and runs. And obviously the ACL injury is a huge concern. Him being 25 is a huge concern. Um, I think you don't really, I wouldn't touch the guy in, in, in the rounds two or three, I think maybe four or five, if he's there, um, I would take him just to kind of be a developmental guy. Maybe he can turn into a, a good backup in the NFL, but no, it, it pained me to say it, but I'm not a huge, huge fan of hooker as, as a draft prospect. I just think, you know, that offense didn't really show, that he can really process information post-snap at a high level. And that's not to say that he can't do it. We just never saw it. So maybe he can, and I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he has a successful NFL career. But I just didn't see it last year, and I don't think there's enough kind of other tools with a Hendon Hooker like there is with Richardson or Levis to kind of really be way too high on him. One more for you. Would you say that it's getting easier or harder to evaluate college quarterbacks regarding what they'll be as NFL quarterbacks? I think it's honestly a complete crapshoot every single year. I don't think that's ever going to change. I think it's so strange because of, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. Is And I wouldn't even call myself a draft guy, but as, as draft people on Twitter or anybody who's not really interviewing these guys or talking to them, it, it's so tough to kind of know mentally how well they'll shape up in the NFL. And that's such a huge part of playing the quarterback position. And the best way to kind of really evaluate them is sit down and talk with them and, and go through what they're thinking on certain plays, how they go through stuff pre and post snap. And there's only so much we can see on tape. Um, so yeah, I think it's always going to be a crapshoot. I think it's, it, it's going to be always tough to kind of project these guys to the next level. But I think the consensus, the public consensus does a, a pretty decent job at it. Um, You'll always see guys that like a Zach Wilson that people fall in love with. But I think if you kind of follow the public consensus of some of these top draft guys, I think you won't really go too wrong um, with quarterback evaluation. I think most people kind of know what they're doing when it comes to this. Um, so, yeah, it, but it, it'll always be a crapshoot. There are always going to be guys that 
look great on tape, look great, you know, with the tools and stuff, and they just completely fail. And then there's going to be guys like Brock Purdy. So it just doesn't really make sense. No, it doesn't. I mean, whatever ends up happening with Brock Purdy, even if you factor in the San Francisco 49ers being a very good team, he clearly should not have lasted until the very last pick in the 2022 draft. Pro Football Focus, Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge, who's also a big Commanders fan. Nick, thanks a lot for this uh, part one of our conversation, and we look forward to part two. Yep, appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Nick Ackridge. If you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Perhaps don't be quite as harsh as uh, the Commander's NFLPA report card uh, was on the Commander's. Uh, But you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate this podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long, can be just a sentence or two. uh, But the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, I, in the opening segment of Thursday's show, episode 519, talked about and had some scheduled fun with the commander's ranking dead last in the NFL, number 32 out of 32 NFL teams in the NFL Players Association's first NFL player team report cards for various things. Uh, The report cards were based on player respondents. There were eight categories for which teams got grades, the commander's grades, treatment of families, F, food service slash nutrition, D+, weight room, C+, strength coaches, A+, training room, F-, training staff, D, locker room, F-, team travel, F-. The commanders with these grades ranked dead last 
among all 32 NFL teams. And there has been a lot of conversation about the commanders with their NFLPA report card ranking dead last and how much this really matters. And I wanted to make this point about the whole thing. The reason that the commander's ranking dead last in the NFL is significant isn't because we like need to feel sorry for the players. The reason that the commander's ranking dead last in the NFL is significant is because that ranking is indicative of a short-sighted and foolish and costly approach from our co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, who hopefully will not be owner for much longer. And of course, nobody is shocked by this, but I do think that this is an important item to highlight. The bulk of the categories for which the commanders got bad grades are infrastructure categories. You know, training staff, training room, food services slash nutrition, weight room, locker room. NFL players get paid a lot of money and get treated very well. And especially in our country right now with the state of the economy, you don't need to shed any tears for NFL players. But in a multi-billion dollar professional sports league like the NFL, in which the difference between winning and losing so often is razor thin, not spending for great infrastructure, for which the costs are marginal compared to the cost of player pay, is short-sighted and foolish and, ironically, costly. You know, as the saying goes, a penny wise and a pound foolish. NFL teams every season spend hundreds of millions of dollars on player salaries. Why wouldn't you, as an NFL team, spend a few million dollars as a one-time thing and then maybe thousands of dollars in upkeep to have the best infrastructure possible to maximize the production that you get from those players to whom you are paying hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you're wondering to what extent these bad grades were about lack of spending, consider this (laughs) from the write-up on the commander's report card. And this write-up comes to us from the NFLPA. Quote, the locker room does not have confidence that club owner Dan Snyder is willing to invest to upgrade the facilities as player responses rank him 31st in this category. Players had significantly more concerns with each area of the facility than the player respondents on any other team. For example, they were the team most consistently identified as having an understaffed training room. Players also reported that they have some of the smallest hot and cold tubs for players' recovery, And only 35% of players feel like they have enough personal space in their locker room. Finally, there are complaints of a lack of warm water and issues with poor drainage in the showers. End quote. Issues with poor drainage in the showers. Classy. (laughs) I mean, that is something. Okay, again, this is a multi-billion dollar enterprise, an NFL team, and our team is having issues with poor drainage in the showers. Let's focus on the two categories that to me stood out the most in terms of those categories in which our commanders did quite poorly, training staff and training room. The commanders for their training staff got a grade of D. The commanders for their training room got a grade of F. Minus, not just an F and F minus. 
why wouldn't you do all that you can to have a great training staff and great training room and a great weight room and a great locker room? Like, do you know how valuable a great training staff and a great training room can be? What if having a great training staff and a great training room allow for a key player to return from injury sooner than he otherwise would? Uh, or allow for key players to return from injuries sooner than those players otherwise would. How valuable might that be? The commanders for the 2022 regular season finished as the number nine team in the NFC playoff standings. The top seven teams made the playoffs. The number seven seed, the Seattle Seahawks, went nine and eight. The commanders went eight, eight, and one. The commanders barely missed the playoffs this past season. Don't you think that it's possible that a great training staff and great training room might be worth, say, a win per season, maybe two wins per season? Might have been the difference between the commanders making and not making the playoffs this past season? I've seen people point out that, say, the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, uh, with their NFLPA report card, ranked a mere 29th out of 32 NFL teams. Look, nobody is saying that these report cards are the end-all be-all or matter more than, you know, having maybe the single most talented quarterback in the history of the planet, Patrick Mahomes. But consider the team that had the best NFLPA report card, the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings in the 2022 regular season incredibly (laughs) went 13-4 and despite having a negative point differential. The Vikings went 13-4 and despite having a point differential of minus three. The Vikings 2022 regular season is one of the great outliers in recent NFL history. A 13-4 and campaign despite a negative point differential. The Vikings in the 2022 regular season were not a 13-4 and team, and yet they went 13-4. and How? Well, no doubt there was some good luck, some very good luck involved in this because the Vikings won a number, an inordinate number of close games. But isn't it possible that the Vikings' highly graded infrastructure had something to do with the team overachieving as it did? You know, the Vikings' worst grade over the eight categories on the report card was an A minus. Yeah, the Vikings' worst grade over the eight categories on the report card was an A minus. Don't you think that it's possible, maybe even probable, that the Vikings' A-level training staff or A-level training room or A-level food service slash nutrition or A-level team travel or A-level whatever played some role in some players being at their best on game days and coming through late in the fourth quarters of close games, again, of which the 2022 Vikings had many? There's a lot that goes into infrastructure. You know, infrastructure includes an NFL team's front office. I'd be curious to know how the commanders rank in terms of spending on executives and scouting and analytics. And again, these things all cost a fraction of what NFL teams pay players. The commanders this past season paid quarterback Carson Wentz about $30 million. Why wouldn't you spend a few million bucks to get yourself high-level elite infrastructure? We know the deal with our guy Dan Snyder, okay? He hasn't exactly been a great NFL owner, and we now have like a mountain of evidence that the guy has had a cash flow problem for a while. 
So again, the commanders ranking dead last in the NFL with their NFLPA report card isn't a stunner, but it still is worth noting, and it absolutely is something on which the team's next owner, assuming that there is a next owner, uh, should seek to drastically improve. Well, to whatever extent that you care about the Wizards making the Eastern Conference's play-in tournament for the NBA playoffs, uh, the Wizards are climbing the Eastern Conference play-in tournament standings. The Wizards now are in a virtual tie with the Toronto Raptors for ninth in the East. Uh, The Wizards are 30 and 32. The Raptors are 31 and 33. All of this off a 119-108 Wizards win over the Raptors at Capital One Arena on Thursday night. In game one of two consecutive games between the teams at Capital One Arena, they'll play again on Saturday evening at five. You know, the Wizards now have won six of their last nine games and now are 19 and 12 over the team's last 31 games. You basically can divide this Wizards regular season into three chunks, a 10-7 and start, then a woeful stretch of 13 losses in 14 games. But since that stretch, a record of 19-12. and The truth is that the Wizards over the last two and a half months actually have been a pretty good team. Uh, the Wizards on Thursday night led for the entire second half. They were without Monte Morris due to his low back soreness, but they got back Chris Dabbs Porzingis. Uh, he returned from a two-game absence caused by left knee soreness. Porzingis in 35 minutes, 51 seconds as a starter, two of four on threes, six of eight on twos, seven to seven on free throws. He finished with 25 points, five rebounds, two assists, and two blocks. Did commit four turnovers, but it was good to have the zinger back. Uh, The Wizards' defense wasn't perfect. Uh, They did allow the Raptors to score 56 points in the paint, but the Raptors will do that to you. And the Wizards did hold the Raptors to just nine of 33 on threes and to just four fast break points. And the Wizards were good offensively. Uh, They went 14 of 30 on threes and 29 of 54 on twos. And the Wizards totaled 30 assists. That is a great total of assists in an NBA game. 30. Uh, The Wiz did commit 15 turnovers, but, you know, the Raptors are a solid defensive team, and yet the Wizards did a lot of good things offensively. Uh, This was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on what was working for the Wizards offensively. Uh, You know, I thought the ball movement, you know, I think we we handled uh, uh, the physicality pretty well. I thought we played, you know, spatially. Give, our, give ourselves room to play, did a better job of our setups, you know, I thought uh, playing downhill early uh, opened things up for us, um, you know, and when you share the ball, it's been consistent all season, we're pretty good, you know, 30 assists, I think 43 field goal attempts, it's a pretty good percentage. Yes, it is. You know, it may not feel like it, but the Wizards actually are in the upper half of the NBA in offense. The Wizards for this regular season are number 14 out of 30 NBA teams in offensive rating, uh, which is points per 100 possessions per NBA.com. We on Thursday night did have mixed games for both Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma. Beal in 35 minutes, 25 seconds as a starter went just to 2 of 10 on twos, two or three on free throws, and he committed four turnovers, but he also went three or four on threes. He finished with 
15 points, 5 assists, and 5 rebounds. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, 34 minutes, 54 seconds as a starter. 6 of 15 on twos and just 6 of 8 on free throws. And he committed 3 turnovers. You know, Kuzma's shooting lately has left a lot to be desired, but he on Thursday night did go 4 of 9 on threes, and he did finish with 30 points, 5 assists, and 5 rebounds. A very nice game for DeLon Wright. 33 minutes, 21 seconds as a starter. Remember, no Monte Morris, but DeLon Wright on Thursday night, 11 assists versus no turnovers. How about that? And he had six rebounds and three steals. Uh, he scored seven points and going one of three on threes and two of four on twos. DeLon Wright has been quite good for the Wizards this season. And Daniel Gafford on Thursday night, 31 minutes, 23 seconds as a starter, eight of 10 from the field, all twos, two or three on free throws. He finished with 18 points. Did have just five rebounds, but uh, included in those five boards were three offensive rebounds. And he had two assists versus no turnovers. Next up for the Wizards, another game against the Raptors. Home to the Raptors Saturday evening at five. And then home to the NBA leading Milwaukee Bucks Sunday night at 730. And that will do it for you and me for now. Get the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 521. We'll have a lot for you on the commanders. Who knows what might come out, what might happen over the next few days. I mean, until this team is sold, assuming that the team is sold, there is going to be a lot of stuff out there. So buckle up. Uh, Also on Monday show, the rest of your Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. We'll see if the Capitals make any more trades prior to Friday's NHL trade deadline at 3 p.m. Eastern. The Caps have one game this weekend at the San Jose Sharks Saturday evening at 6. The Wizards, as we just mentioned last segment, have two games this weekend, home to the Toronto Raptors Saturday evening at 5 and home to the NBA leading Milwaukee Bucks Sunday night at 7.30. And the college basketball regular season ends this weekend. Number 21, Maryland, is at Penn State Sunday at noon. Number 13, Virginia, is home to Louisville Saturday afternoon at 2. And Virginia Tech is home to Florida State Saturday afternoon at 4. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Okay, we wound up 5-11. and 11. Not very good. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase, plus get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com